and inquiring into this and feeling there's like a there's a flavor there's a particular um style that that comes through to us um down through suzuki roshi and catherine and um even though we're kind of supported by this whole braid of ancestors i i feel like there's a particular thread handed down through catherine and um I really, really treasure her, the book of her teachings that Natalie Goldberg and Bill and Ellie put together. And they're these just beautiful little teachings. I keep it by my bed and I'll like just grab a couple page teachings of hers. And um, there's certain threads that run through like, uh, being willing to be ordinary or uh, our body, you know, our body practice, hearing and feeling the teacher teachings through our body, studying our delusions, loving the world as it is. And then some of, some of these teachings have, I have specific memories of like, there's a chapter in in her book called the flavor of of plain and i i remember my first time being tenso for a session and you know finding the just the right recipes and bringing you know uh working so hard to to make what i thought would be a wonderful menu and i remember catherine um bowing to me at one point during the session and saying, thank you, I'm particularly enjoying the brown rice. <laughs> and that's just like, that's the flavor of, of plain that I remember from Catherine. So what I'd like to do tonight is take up one of these threads and there are several. Um, and that's her teaching of being willing to just be this moment, just being willing to allow this moment. And I wonder, Patrick, are, if you're the host, I wonder if you can um, allow screen sharing because I have a really um, beautiful little uh, piece that I would love to share with you. Let's see. I just made you co-host, so you should be able to do it now. Okay, let's see what we've got. Yeah, it's not coming through. I'll make you the host. Oh, I'm getting advanced here. This is good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's see what we've got. I don't, there's my, do, do, do. oh, wait, wait, wait. I have an idea. I'm not going to take too much time if this doesn't work, but I do have one idea. And it might be what would make a difference. So let me try again here. 
where did I go? Okay. So some of you, can you see my graphic there? Some of you may remember this. This is a picture that Edie took um, a number of years ago with a quote from Catherine as she's uh, putting the persimmon on the altar, the, the beautiful persimmon tree next door to the Zendo. Are you ready to practice in this realm? Willing to be this moment, however it is? No apologies, no regrets, no grasping. So, this is the teaching that I want to talk about. Um, and, you know, just first to do a little personal sharing of how this is coming in for me right now, because this fall and this winter have been quite shaky for me um, and actually full of regrets and full of grasping and apologies. And, um, Often I don't know quite why, you know, these kind of waves come through, but old age and death have been really intimately kind of raging and challenging me. Um, and I've been feeling a lot of loneliness, which in my situation with a life graced with a gigantic family, <laughs> many children and grandchildren, and a strong partnership and loving Sangha. And yet, you know, this is the feeling. And even though I can look outward with a lot of gratitude for these circumstances, rather than um, rather than Catherine's yes to my aging to my loneliness, my no has been just loud, you know, and present like an undertow. And that Upaya where I practice now, surrounded by young energetic priests and residents at Upaya, um, and given lots of kindness and respect for my grandmotherly mind, my Robaishin, I'm like, not, no. I don't want the grandmotherly, I don't want the grandmotherly, you know, uh, place right now. So I've just um, been being with this and, you know, with help from my teacher, Jean, just looking at my impulse to push, push away um, this no that's coming up and kind of, uh, steer against the current, like, oh, I want to say yes to these circumstances, you know, or I always think of how I can pull in my kind of Buddhist tricks, which are, 
also can be a way of pushing away what's here, you know, what I'm feeling. And yet knowing that my job right now is to feel the no, you know, to feel um, the no in my gut, in my body, as Catherine would say, and to be with what's here now um, and to meet what's here now. And um, it feels too hard. And it's one of the things I've been thinking about, like, no, this is too hard. This is too hard. I don't, I don't want to look at this aging. I don't want to look at this shakiness. And um, because I've been spending a lot of time with um, Catherine's book, she ha has some words about that. And, and some of them are from a Sashin talk that, that's is in a chapter in her book called Inside of Time. And she says this, she says about Sashin, before arriving, as I was preparing for Sashin, I thought, it's too hard. Giving so many talks is too hard. There's a point where we say it's too hard. It shouldn't be this hard, whatever it is. Notice when you tell yourself, I can't stretch that far. Watch when you come up against your comfort zone. Notice when something is too hard, too hard to sit here, too hard to attend to the breath and mind. So this is the end of Catherine's quote. And then for me, you know, too hard to be with the isolation of the pandemic and too hard to look at my aging, mind and body and um, my brother died two months ago, too hard to see that I'll never see my brother again and too hard to feel the pain of the world and the gasps of our earth and the politics and all, it's just like too hard. And Catherine says, this very life, just as it unfolds, is our actual life. We're just being with it. We're not messing with it. We let go of our ideas about it. So it sounds good. <laughs> good advice. Um, and, you know, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we meet this? So I would like to share um, briefly two different koans from women that, uh, women ancestors. This, these are both from the Hidden Lamp and they're women ancestors who I've really come to love through their stories. And one is our contemporary, Maylee Scott. We'll talk about that first. And another is um, an eighth century Chinese woman ancestor. But um, first, Maylee Scott's koan in the hidden, hidden lamp. And I'm gonna read this, it's very short. It's called, Maylee Scott Meets Loneliness. Crying in despair, an earnest student asked her teacher, Seisho Maylee Scott, I've worked so hard to transform this crippling loneliness. I can neither shake it nor live with it. 
can you help me? Holding the student in a steady gaze and offering her confident smile, Maylee ended the conversation with, please don't ever think that anything is out of place. Please don't think that anything is ever out of place. And in the commentary to this, um, Diane Hamilton says, how can loneliness have an appropriate place? Such a strong feeling won't go away by recalling a comforting memory or reaching for the phone. It demands to be felt. With nowhere else to go, I allowed loneliness in. So in this commentary, she's talking about her own deep experience of loneliness. And she tells this story of, um, I think she was in a hotel room and just having this uh, experience of feeling so lost and so lonely. And when she says, I allowed the loneliness in, she describes, you know, running a hot bath and feeling the water and just being, um, sinking into the feeling and letting everything come alive just by not holding back that feeling of loneliness, making room for it. And this was one of Catherine's strong teachings, you know, being the moment, meeting the moment. Is it hard? Is it too hard? Um, so this, I, I'm going to tell another story about Catherine right now before I go into the next koan, because this, it's so interesting, this particular teaching of things being too hard, actually, um, I can't remember, it might have been a class, the exact context, but we were in the Zendo and Catherine was teaching and we were having kind of Q&A and bringing up our concerns. And I was telling this story about teaching and working with these really students that were in so much pain and that, you know, that I had what it takes to meet, meet the fourth student and the fifth student and be present. And then it was too much. And Catherine looked at me and said something like, well, you're just deciding that or kind of making that up or, you know, that's just what your mind is telling you. And at that time, um, I was just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I had no, it's like I had no context, no ability to really take in that teaching. And um there were several times this, that this happened, but she would just kind of say, never mind. <laughs> kind of in this kind way of saying, don't worry, it's fine. It's not the right time for you to, you know, what I see looking back is kind of, it, it's not a problem. It's not the right time for you to, to um, hear this teaching. But, um, this feeling now that I have of, you know, I, you know, I'm kind of in this turmoil or in and out of it, and it feels too hard to be with. 
And so it brought me to share a story of one of my very, very favorite women ancestors, Ling Zhao. And um, she was uh, Layman Pang's daughter. And I don't know, you may or may not be familiar, but you know, lay, there, was, there was this family of um, lay practitioners who became very, very, they were very well studied. And the daughter, Ling Zhao, was kind of the, in my view, star of the show and just this beautiful um, young women, woman who had a very deep understanding. And in Hidden Lamp, there's a um, koan about too hard, things being too hard or too easy called Ling Xiao's signing, Shining Grasses. So it's very short again. And it goes like this. Layman Pang was sitting in his thatched cottage one day, studying the sutras. Difficult, 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 he suddenly exclaimed, like trying to store 10 bushels of sesame seed in the top of a tree. Easy, 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 his wife, Lay Woman Pang answered. It's like touching your feet to the floor when you get out of bed. Neither difficult nor easy, said their daughter Ling Zhao. It's like the teachings of the ancestors shining on the hundred grass tips. So layman pangs too hard, you know, the complexity, the difficulty of this life in this body. And the sutras won't save us and life can, you know, feel like it pressing, it's pressing us down. And um, difficult is not something inherent in the Dharma world, but it's, embedded in how we perceive and live. And I certainly, you know, experience too hard and difficult. And in the commentary, Jisha Warner says, difficult is not inherent in the Dharma world, yet it's embedded in how we perceive and live the world of myriad soft bodies coming and going is passionately beautiful and endless marvel and it's a world of stumbling and groping and dying as well. And then we have laywoman Pang saying, easy, easy, like touching your feet to the floor when you get out of bed. Or it reminded me of like reaching for a pillow behind your head in the Avalokiteshvara story at night. And we have both of those. I mean, we can feel both of those states, you know. But because, you know, at least I know in my experience, I want to hold on to the, you know, like reaching for a pillow or like my ease of my feet touching the floor. But if I try to hold on to it, then I'm cut off from what's next. And then we have Ling Zhao's neither easy nor difficult. 
the teachings of the ancestors shining on the hundred grass tips, which is Sandokai, Sandokai. You know, the hundred grass tips, the teachings of the ancestors. Where else does the Dharma shine if not, you know, on the hundred grasses? which is Catherine's, this body in this moment. So, you know, it's so interesting. We have all these beautiful teachings and they're right there. And, and, um, and also in the moment of, you know, this is too hard. It's like, um, I don't know. I have to kind of teach myself the Dharma and remember uh, that I have some trust in the Dharma, that I can meet my life, even if I think I can't, you know. And I think also this is taking refuge, you know, this is our moment of taking refuge in the Dharma. And uh, often, I have to wear out all my escape strategies <laughs> before I can let go into that kind of trust. So I want to share you pious evening gata. So in after our evening zazen, we chant the four vows and then the chant leader uh, chants this gata every night. Let me respectfully remind you, life and death are of supreme importance. Time passes swiftly and opportunity is lost. Let us awaken, awaken, take heed. Do not squander your life. And so, you know, like the Dharma is, it just kind of, Dharma reign, you know, this do not squander your life and like life and death of that's inscribed in the Han that we have. But this do not squander your life is something that over the years, I think, okay, does that mean don't watch Netflix? What does that mean, actually? Does that mean, you know, don't waste your time taking a warm bath? What is squander your life, really? And when I look at it um, in the context of what I'm talking about tonight and, and Catherine's teachings, it seems to me that it means don't veer off from your life. Be exactly the person you are at this moment, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable. It's not, you know, do something special. It's not make your mark. Um, it's um, meet your life. That's not squandering your life. Don't look elsewhere. Just accepting our experience as it is, is do not squander your life. And that's helpful to me. It's like, okay, you know, too hard. Doesn't matter. You know, just... Um, meet the squeaminess and the loneliness and whatever's here. Just do not squander your life. 
So I want to end with two, I can't help it. There's so many beautiful, beautiful teachings in Catherine's little book. And I want to end with two of my favorite quotes because they're beautiful, exquisite teachings. So here's one. She says, the cessation of suffering is when we release our demand for the world to be as we want it to be and let it resume its own contours and textures. The cessation of suffering is when we release the demand for the world to be as we want it to be and let it resume its own contours and textures. And the second one is, Zen practice doesn't make promises, no treats or discounts. In Zen, you have to pay the whole price. You have to go into your own joy, your own suffering, your own bliss, your own arrogance, dismay, pain, and allow it all to evolve. In other words, we have to be complete human beings. So please, if you don't have this <laughs> book of Catherine's, um, you should, <laughs> you would love it. And um, thank you so much for letting me join you and inviting me. And um, it's wonderful to be with everyone again. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.